Good morning, Christ Prez. We are uh, in the middle of our humility deep dive. And uh, in these messages, um, we're seeing that the entire Christian life from creation to new creation is meant to lead us into humility. And so we've looked at the humility of creation and we've looked at the humility of salvation. And then last week we talked about the humility of community. Uh, But the Christian life doesn't stop with the creation of the community. God sends the community into the world, and he sends us in the way of humility. This morning, we'll look at the humility of mission. Remember that uh, that mission comes from the Latin word that just means sending. So, so when you hear the word mission, think sending. Well, the first thing to remember is that mission starts with God. God is a sending God. He's a missionary God. So it's not exactly that the church has a mission, it's that God has a mission and the church is included in it. Mission begins with the God who sends, sends the Son and the Spirit. Well, why does God send the Son and the Spirit? You know, one way we might answer that is to say, because God is humble. God's mission arises from and is powered by God's humility. God does nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, God looks toward the interests of others, which means that he looks out for our interests and the interests of the world. This orientation toward the good of others is a central aspect of what it means to be humble. And we see the humility of God's mission when we remember the big story scripture tells. According to the Bible story, when God created the world and created humanity within it, People flourished in the relationships with God and with each other and even with the rest of the created order, but it didn't last. Remember, humans rejected the reign of God and they rebelled against God. They didn't trust his love. They rejected God's grace. And as a result, the peace, the shalom that God had intended for the world, it began to unravel. Well, the rest of the Bible can be read as the story of God's setting about to rescue and restore his creation. And at the climax of this story, we get this person, Jesus. In Jesus, we see that God himself has come to intervene and to set things right. God himself has come to restore his good intentions for the world he has made. He's come to renew the world. He's come to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. The old Reformed theologian Herman Bavink puts it like this. He writes, quote, The essence of the Christian religion consists in the reality that the creation of the Father, ruined by sin, is restored in the death of the Son of God and recreated by the grace of the Holy Spirit into a kingdom of God. Close quote. See, that's a very different vision of Christianity than the view that says that the whole point of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is to make a way for some people's souls or spirits to go to heaven when they die. See, the biblical story is, is much bigger and broader and richer and more comprehensive. We, we, we learn in scripture that God cares very much about souls, but he cares also very much about everything he has made, including bodies and communities, which is good news, not just for souls after death, but for the entire world right here and right now. See, God is a missionary God who in humility is intent on setting the world right. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, we see him empowered by the spirit bringing healing to God's good creation, which has fallen into sin and ruin. Over and over again, we see him putting the needs of others before his own, 
healing people, forgiving people, liberating people from spiritual oppression and bondage, restoring people to community. To talk about the humility of mission is to talk first and foremost about the humility of God and his purposes for the world. But what's so remarkable, and we see this in our passage, is that God includes us in humble, other-oriented mission. He shares the work with us. He invites us to participate in it. You know, up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples have been with Jesus and they've been watching Jesus. But here in this passage, um, we see a turning point. Here we see Jesus call, equip, and send the disciples to participate in his kingdom mission. He wants to bring salvation not just to his people, but through his people to others. God includes us in his humble mission to rescue the world. So let's look at the work of this mission, the power for the mission, and then the weakness of the mission. Okay, so first, what's the work? Well, Luke tells us in verse 2, Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. See, there it is. The work is the work of humble love. It's work that moves us outside of ourselves and gets our attention off of ourselves and on to God and others. And it involves both words and deeds. And so there's proclamation. What are we proclaiming? Not ourselves, not how great we are. We proclaim the kingdom of God. We bear witness with our words to the goodness and grace of Jesus. We announce the good news that God is at work to make all things new, declaring the good news about Jesus. This work of love also includes deeds. In addition to declaration, there's demonstration. In addition to word ministry, there's deed ministry. See, the disciples are sent not just to speak, but to heal. We're sent into the world to help others thrive and flourish in in their bodies, in their communities. Words and deeds. See, those two always have to go together. To paraphrase Leslie Newbegin, uh, without deeds, no one will believe our words, and without words, no one will understand our deeds. Think about that. Like if we're telling people about how good Jesus is and telling people about God's kingdom that's breaking into our world, uh, but people never experience the healing, transforming power of God, well, it, it won't be long before they doubt the message, doubt the truth of the message. And on the other hand, healing and deliverance and freedom from oppression are really good things, but they can only be fully understood in relationship to Jesus, the one who brings them. And so our good kingdom deeds need to always be accompanied by words about him. Jesus sends his followers to love and serve others by proclaiming the kingdom of God in healing. That's the work. Now, Um, What about the power for the work? We need to ask, how can we do this? Because let's be honest, uh, this work is entirely beyond us. Like in ourselves, it's just not something we can pull off. You and I can't really faithfully love others with our words and deeds on our own. I mean, left to ourselves, our tendency is to turn inward, to become overly self-focused, to grow apathetic about God's kingdom and unconcerned about the needs of others. Our default mode is not to lovingly bear faithful witness to Jesus. So where do we find the power for participating in this humble mission of love that God includes us in? Well, look again at verse one. 
And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So here's the power. Let me highlight a few things. First, it all begins with being summoned by Jesus to Jesus. I mean, we're equipped for the mission of Jesus first by being with him. There's nothing more foundational than this for any of the work that Jesus is sending us to do. We must begin by being with him. You know, the term disciples comes from the Greek methetis, and it basically refers to someone who is apprenticed to a teacher to learn from him. A disciple uh, is just a learner. All the rabbis of Jesus' day would call their disciples to the Torah, but Jesus called his disciples to himself. His disciples weren't learning a subject, uh, they were learning a person. And in order to do that, in order to learn Jesus, they had to be with him pretty much all the time, listening to him, asking questions, putting into practice the things that he taught. Jesus doesn't send us without first calling us to be with him. And, and that being with him doesn't stop. And if it does stop, uh, so does the mission. You know, sometimes we can get excited about the mission of Jesus. We can love to uh, talk about God's plan to make all things new and to bring his kingdom. We can want to be a part of it, but we can do all that without ever actually responding to Jesus' daily summons to come and be with him. Family, I want to say, start there. Prioritize that. Don't let anything come between you and learning Jesus. We'll never have power for the real work of word and deed witness if we're not with Jesus. So it all begins with being summoned by Jesus to be with Jesus. But also notice that at the same time, it's a summons to community. When Jesus calls us to himself, he always calls us to other people. Uh, when he sends us, he always sends us with other people as a community. And so here's another source of strength each other. I mean, wouldn't it be such a different vision of Christianity if Jesus had only called one disciple? And if he had said, you know, at some point you're going to pass us along to one other disciple and so on and so on. I mean, it'd be a different story if he'd only sent that one disciple out to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. Um, but that's not what Jesus does. He calls a community. And when he sends them out, they're sent uh, in pairs, it's a reminder, I think, that on our own, as isolated individuals, we just can't adequately bear witness to the goodness of what God is doing in the world. None of us, as, as an isolated individual, has what it takes in and of ourselves to faithfully point others to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the Christian community in terms of a body with different parts and different gifts. We need one another, and the diversity of gifts God gives if we're going to faithfully proclaim the kingdom and share the healing power of God with others. And then third, notice that Jesus very explicitly gives the disciples his power and his authority. And so if we ask, how can we participate in God's mission? Where do we find the power for it? I mean, the answer is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. It's his power at work in us and through us. And I wonder if we believe this. 
Do we believe that Jesus has given us his power and authority for the work he calls us to? Do we believe that he is sending us to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal? Well, let's not just say that we believe it. Let's show that we believe it by actually doing it. Who are the people in your life who need to hear the name of Jesus? Who are the people who need to experience the transforming power of God's inbreaking kingdom? How can you humbly love someone this week with your words and with your actions? That's the power for the mission. And now last, let's look at the weakness of the mission. Look at verses three through five. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave them, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. See, this probably wasn't what the disciples wanted to hear. I mean, he's telling them very plainly not to take with them any of the things that they would have foreseen needing any of the things they would have anticipated uh, requiring. In that day, if you were going on a trip, uh, you'd want a staff for protection and you you would want a bag to carry your provisions in. You'd want some bread to eat and some money to buy uh, more bread when you ran out. You'd want an extra tunic, you know, just in case. And Jesus says, no. He says, don't take any of that. Which means from the very beginning, the disciples are sent out in a position of uh, extreme vulnerability. They're in a position where they will have to depend on the hospitality of the very people they're going to reach and to love with the message and healing of the kingdom. They're going to be the recipients as much as they are the providers. My old teacher, Jim Edwards, writes this, quote, the gospel is rightly shared not by campaigning, crusading, or conquering, but within a context of relationship defined by mutual trust and service, close quote. I mean, in other words, it's a humble mission. It's a mission that really seeks the well-being and flourishing of others. It's a mission that really considers what others need and then seeks to meet those needs in an informed way. And see, that means that it can have nothing to do with coercion or manipulation or force. It means that the mission of Jesus Christ is never about, you know, notches on your belt, how many people you've, you've brought to faith, how many, how many successes you've had. It's always aimed at really helping other people to know Jesus and flourish. Jesus sends us out in this humble kind of weakness. It's a reminder that just as Jesus depended entirely on the Father, so we are called to depend entirely on the Father. We will have to depend entirely on the daily provision and grace of God for this work. He sends us out with his power and his authority, but otherwise, I mean, totally unprepared. And in the midst of that, He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So he sends us out in weakness and vulnerability. I mean, 
he, he's calling us, I think, to open ourselves up to the possibility of rejection. I mean, do you see that in the text? Maybe we'll be received and maybe we won't. And the only way to find out is to go. I mean, it's kind of like Jesus is a farmer sowing seed and you're the seed and so am I. And we just don't know what kind of soil we're going to fall on. Will it take us in or will it be hard and will it reject us? We don't know beforehand. The only way to find out is to fall, which is an act of faith. I wonder if we trust Jesus enough to fall. Do we trust him enough to go when and where he sends us? Do we trust him enough to love, knowing that our love, even when offered really well and with the best of motives and intentions, might be rejected entirely? Well, how can we trust? One thing that helps me to trust is just to remember who it is that is sending us. Here is one who knows you and who loves you completely. Here is one who comes to you in weakness and vulnerability. Here is one who risks being rejected. And even now, he offers you the kingdom. And he offers you himself. And uh, he might not give you bread while he's on the journey, while you're on the journey, but he gives you bread, at least here, at least now, at least before you're sent out. And so there's an opportunity, family, to receive him again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.